Hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. Coming up in this week's podcast, ski season is upon us. So we'll head to Castle Mountain in southern Alberta and learn about their $2 million upgrade they did this past summer. Plus, our good friend, travel writer and blogger, Carol Patterson, is going to join us and share her experience at Forion National Park, located in the Gaspé Peninsula of Quebec. And the busy holiday travel season is also upon us. So we're going to start things off this week chatting with the folks from CATSA, the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority, to give you some reminders about what you can and cannot put into your carry-on luggage before you board your flight and other tips to smooth the process of getting through airport security. To help us do all of that, we're joined now by Christine Langwa. She's a spokesperson for CATSA, the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority. Hi, Christine. Hi, Randy. Well, each year we kind of do this review uh, for the holidays so people know what they can and can't take uh, on the aircraft with them. Uh, So tell me what's the difference between the holiday season and just the rest of the season from a security point of view. Snow globes, Randy. Snow globes. That's the answer. <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting that answer, I must say. <laughs> What's the we problem have with lots snow of globes? It this morning. <laughs> we have lots of it in Edmonton. We have it uh, in, in Alberta. Uh, we also want to remind people not to wrap their gifts uh, before security, for sure, as much as we, we enjoy unwrapping gifts ourselves. Uh, we much prefer not to unwrap yours. Um, in case you wonder about the snow globe, simply the rule is this. It contains more liquid than the limit of 100 millimeters. Um, so liquid aerosols and gels in carry-on, as you know, should be limited to 100 uh, to, to small containers in carry-on. Mm-hmm. And these small containers have to fit all together in a clear one other plastic bag. Um, so that's the limit. If you have more than that, or if you want to travel with snow globes, you can. You simply have to place it in your check luggage. So that would be the rule, simply. Um, we also want to remind people not to bring uh, big tools in carry-on. We see lots of it. Uh, saws, all sorts of things. That should, this should be checked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we see different things. Uh, in this season, we also see quite a lot of end warmers. And um, they are limited in large quantities because they very often contain inorganic powders. And these powders are limited to the size of a soda can in carry-on. So let's say you have two or three end warmers, it's not an issue. But if you have a large box, I saw one today, um, uh, very large, but somebody was thinking about serious skiing. Um, so that box should have gone in check luggage. It would have traveled that way. Mm-hmm. So do you run into more uh, issues uh, over the holiday season just because there's more people probably traveling uh, than the other season with, with little things uh, like that, uh, unique things that people are trying to put through their check luggage, or sorry, for their carry-on luggage versus their check luggage? I think that the, um, it's a, the situation is very similar, but the volume is different. So we do see much more people. So, for example, in different airports, uh, very often December 20th is roughly the busiest day uh, of the season. In some cases, it's going to be the busiest day of the year, literally, for them. Uh, we see an increase in Edmonton. I saw it's an increase of 20%. In other airports, it's going to be different. Uh, it could be, you know, it's tens of thousands of people more than normal in some cases. Mm-hmm. So really, it has an impact. If if everybody takes one more minute because they forgot about an item, it has a collective impact. So we, that's why we ask people to prepare. And a very good way to prepare is to use our app. Uh, we have an app available on iPhone and Android. Uh, you consult it. You enter the name of the item you're planning to travel with, and it's going to tell you exactly where it should go. Uh, carry on, check luggage. Are there any restrictions? So it is very, very useful that way. Oh, cool. I was going to ask you about the app, but now you've uh, covered most of it. Any other uses for the app? Is there wait times, that kind of thing? 
Absolutely. You can also get the wait time in real time in 14 Canadian airports. Um, so it is extremely useful. Uh, and it includes, obviously, airports from uh, the west part of the country, Vancouver is part of it, Calgary, Edmonton. So the largest airports uh, in Canada are included. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it gives you a good sense of how long it takes to enter the checkpoint. And now let's just review some of the basics. Uh, I'm looking on your website, the CATSA website. Uh, you get a maximum of two carry-on bags per person. Some of the things that people try to carry on, I wouldn't call carry-on, but <laughs> you, you explain a little better. Yeah, the, well, the carry-on limits are, are established by the airlines, right? So it varies, and in some cases, at the size also of the luggage themselves. Mm-hmm. So the airline could tell you more about it. But in terms of items that are allowed or not, they're really uh, well listed on the, the app or on the website. So it gives you a sense of, of what is allowed. And if ever it's not listed, you cannot find it, please contact us on uh, by phone or on Facebook, Twitter, and we'll be happy to help you. Give us enough time because uh, remember that we work roughly on business times. And in some cases, if your item is rare, we will have to check with our team uh, where it should go. So we're happy to find that information for you, but we need time for that. So mm-hmm. make sure to prepare a few days out of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other uh, tips and advice? Uh, I guess time, give yourself lots of time, right? Absolutely. Give yourself lots of time. Uh, don't do like me this morning. <laughs> 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 but give yourself plenty of time. Uh, make sure that you have time. We all make better decisions when we have time, right? So mm-hmm. prepare and then get to a checkpoint. Uh, but if ever you find yourself with an item that doesn't travel, keep in mind that you do have options. So you can go back and check, uh, place it in your uh, car, for example, if you parked at the airport, or check it, bring one more bag to check. So you have different options, but keep in mind that uh, you need time in order to do it. Mm-hmm. Good advice. Uh, Christine Langua is a spokesperson for CATSA, the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority. Their website is chocked full of information, and you can also download the app, which would be very helpful. Uh, thanks, Christine, for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, ski season is upon us, and one resort that's open and excited about the next few months is Castle Mountain. It's located in southern Alberta, and part of the reason for that excitement is because of all the snow they've received already this year. And another reason is they've put $2 million in upgrades this past summer. So to tell us more about that is Cole Fawcett. He is the sales and marketing manager for the Castle Mountain Ski Resort. The website is skicastle.ca. Hi, Cole. Hello, Randy. I bet you every time it snows, you're smiling. Well, as I uh, look out my window <laughs> right now, it's snowing, and you got it. I'm smiling. <laughs> so just give us an update on what the ski conditions are like. Well, pretty darn good. We, we actually learned through a snow-based blog earlier this week that so far this season in North America, no one has had more snow than Castle Mountain Resort really? here in, in little old southwest Alberta. So. Um, with that at the top of our minds, the snow, ski conditions are great. We have 85% of our terrain open, uh, and for early, well, I guess mid-December now, that is outstanding. Mm-hmm. Well, good. It's always great to have an early start with the uh, ski resorts. So now give me, uh, I've never been to Castle Mountain, So, uh, and for someone who's never been, uh, what's the easiest way to get there? Give me sort of the uh, Castle Mountain 101 basics. Well, maybe I'll give you the Coles notes. There you uh, go. <laughs> well, um, most of our audience hails from the prairies. So whether they be Albertan or from Saskatchewan, uh, many of them are driving to us 
Um, so, you know, for a Calgarian, it's two and a half hours. For someone from Edmonton, it's five hours and mm-hmm. a little bit. But um, more general for those uh, further afar, uh, folks would fly into Calgary and then they'd enjoy a, a pretty quick and easy two and a half hour drive south and then a little southwest. Uh, we are nestled up against the British Columbian border, right against the Continental Divide in what I like to call extreme southwestern Alberta. So that's not Banff. Um, sometimes we are confused uh, with with the ski resorts that are in the Banff pocket, uh, but we're much closer actually to Waterton Lakes National Park than we would be to Banff National Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now you had $2 million of upgrades put in uh, in the summertime, I'm assuming. Uh, tell me about those. Yeah, so we, we are well known for having the most snow in Alberta. But sometimes Mother Nature needs a helping hand in the early season and, and sometimes uh, in that early season so that we can stay open later into April as well. So uh, we've never actually had snowmaking. Um, we've always relied solely on on the gift that Mother Nature brings us, which is usually abundant year after year. Uh, but she sometimes can be a little late in delivering that gift. She isn't this year, but she has been, for example, last year. So the two million dollars in upgrades uh, was spent mostly on snowmaking infrastructure, and uh, the powder purists that we serve uh, would be uh, happy to know that we're only making snow on the lower quarter of the mountain which is really where it needs it. Uh, That famous castle powder, that famous uh, dry, light and dry Canadian Rockies powder uh, isn't going to be affected by our snowmaking. It's really about making sure that we can get guests to the bottom of the mountain uh, in the early and the late season. Mm -hmm. Uh, So now is this, uh, is Castle Mountain uh, an expert skiers resort? Is it good for everybody? Can beginners go and not be intimidated? Well, I'm not going to lie to you. Our our terrain mix is skewed more towards advanced and expert level skiers. Uh, in the mid 2000s, we did put in a terrain pod that is known as Huckleberry, the Huckleberry chairlift and and terrain, which is predominantly intermediate and beginner. So there is terrain definitely here for everyone, but we are a little bit skewed, I guess you could say, towards or favored maybe towards the expert or advanced level skier. Mm-hmm. Uh, now tell me about some of the accommodations that are available. I understand there's quite a wide variety uh, for people that want to stay near or on the mountain. For sure, there's a, a wide variety, um, although there's not a lot of accommodations in general. Uh, so we've got everything from uh, base area hostel, uh, hotel accommodation, and then a number of vacation homes that are in what we call the rental pool uh, that folks could find at staycastle.ca. Um, and then, of course, our neighboring communities, that being the municipality of Crowsness Pass and, and the town of Pincher Creek, with uh, lots of brand-name hotels like your Super 8s and your Ramadas, uh, only 25 to 35 minutes away from, from the base of the resort. And do you get a lot of people that, uh, you know, book in advance and, you know, say, use up whatever uh, accommodations are closest to Castle Mountain? So I'm, what I'm getting at is that if you're planning a trip out there, you, uh, is it best to plan in advance, or can you kind of just show up? <laughs> you can always show up, um, especially if you're driving an RV and you want to park it in the parking lot. <laughs> we welcome the ski and snowboard bum uh, who is uh, trying to do things on the cheap, but the moral of the story is that if you were looking to book over New Year's right now, uh, you wouldn't find anything in the base area, unfortunately. Uh, certainly, you'd find some in our neighboring communities. But you do want to uh, try and book in advance. It's 
it's uh, not quite as scarce as uh, as some things, but certainly a few weeks and a couple of months for those really key periods like Family Day and Christmas holidays would be advised. Mm-hmm. Well, then that brings up the other thing, the holiday season. What kind of um, events do you have planned over the holidays and into the new year then? Yeah, good question. So uh, coming right up is our ugly sweater party, which is always a fan favorite. That's a little before Christmas, but uh, we do an ugly sweater party and uh, ugly sweater day uh, where we uh, give prizes for the, the best or worst sweater that comes out of things. We have an absolutely amazing New Year's Eve party this year with the dudes, uh, and we usually see uh, three to 400 people come out for that day lodge party. So we transform our, our day lodge into a night lodge, I guess you could say. <laughs> and so that'll be coming up. And a, a really cute event that we have for families is what we call night skiing on green. We have uh, a little chairlift called the green chair. It's, it only rises a couple of hundred feet and uh, it doesn't actually have permanent lighting on it, so we bring in those lighting plants that you'd see you know, at a highway construction site, and for three nights during the Christmas holiday season, we light up the green zone and, and offer free uh, night skiing for our season pass holders and, and a $10 ticket for everyone else. Cool. Uh, you're open all year round. I'm looking again on your website, skicastle.ca. I know we're talking about the ski season right now, but there are the summertime activities that go on as well, right? Yeah, so the Castle region's really just coming into its own, I think, with respect to uh, summer activities. Uh, We don't actually spin the lifts yet in the summer, although it's something that we aspire to do. Um, Castle's uh, an affordable and and much sought-after wedding venue and and conference venue in the summer months. But the other thing that we do, which which doesn't require uh, anything but getting here, is uh, we mark a number of hiking trails in the area to complement all the trails that are surrounding us in the newly created Provincial Park, which was the Castle Provincial Park, and that was created in 2017. So uh, there's definitely something to do down here um, all year long. Uh, we, we wish we could spin the lifts for mountain biking and alpine sightseeing, uh, but I think we're a few years away from that. Mm-hmm. And while it's, when you're skiing, it's important to have food and drink. So tell us about some of the options there when you're when you're done skiing, or maybe you just want to take a break. For sure. So uh, the renowned food and beverage establishment that we have here at Castle is the T Bar Pub, um, and it actually just received uh, a small makeover um, from the bar, kind of backwards, as I like to say. Uh, so that uh, we are able to expand our menu options. But the, this building has so much history in it. It's one of, I've been to a lot of ski resorts in North America, but it's one of the more, um, I, I guess, steeped in history venues that I've ever had the pleasure of enjoying a beverage or food in. Adorned on the walls are our history uh, for all the way dating back to the 1960s when Castle was created and and, of course, uh, like most pubs, it's open late on the weekends and through the holidays. <laughs> well, it sounds like a fun time uh, to spend a couple days skiing. It's Castle Mountain Resort. The website is skicastle.ca. And Cole Fawcett is the sales and marketing manager for Castle Mountain Resorts. Uh, again, that website, skicastle.ca. Thanks, Cole. Well, every once in a while, I'd like to invite our good friend, travel writer, Carol Patterson, to the podcast. And that is because Carol always manages 
to go to interesting places. And recently, she took a trip to Forillon National Park, located in Gaspé, Quebec. And she wrote about it in an article titled 10 Things You Need to Do for a Perfect Day at Forillon National Park. And Carol is here now to share a few of those things with us. Hi, Carol. Hi, Randy. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, let me know if I pronounce this right. Forillon National Park? I believe that's correct. Uh, <laughs> it's not my first language either, but that's, uh, it sounds like how I've heard it. I correct. actually had to Google it to, so I know how to pronounce it correctly. But 10 things you need to do for a perfect day at Forillon National Park. Tell me where Forillon National Park is. So it's on Quebec's uh, Gaspé Peninsula. So it's like a finger of land that pokes out into the Gulf of St. Lawrence. So it's north of New Brunswick. Um, so it's a similar kind of maritime experience, but with perhaps uh, more French culture. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's different, but um, refreshingly different. Okay, so now getting there, is it easier to get there from New Brunswick or easier to get there from, uh, say, Quebec City or Montreal? Uh, you can drive, if you're on the road, you could certainly drive up from New Brunswick. Uh, but if you're coming, say, from Western Canada, um, probably best you can fly right into the Gas Bay. Um, there is an airport that you can fly to. Usually you connect, you know, through Montreal or Quebec City. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also drive from Quebec City. So it's about an eight-hour road trip if you're going to, you know, turn it into a longer trip. So was this your first time there? Uh, it was, actually. Um, well, no, that's not true. I have been to Per Se once on a cruise ship, but this is my first time doing the overland uh, trip. So, uh, yeah, and it was, there was lots to see and do. Well, expand on that. What did, you, what did you see? How long were you there for? Let's put it that way. Um, I was there for uh, three nights, four days, which is a nice length of time. There was quite a bit to see. Uh, so I was based in Forion National Park, which is I'd recommend that for a lot of people. Um, because it is a beautiful piece of nature. And uh, this is a part of the country where the Mi'kmaq have lived for thousands of years and, and used that area of land. Um, they called it Land's End. So that's one of the things I quite enjoyed was the presence of the sea. Uh, so it's a great place. You can go whale watching. Um, there's some bird watching. And an unexpected thing for me was the sunrises. And being a Westerner, I think we have very good sunsets, but... Uh, when you're facing east on the edge of the water like that, the sunrises are incredible. Oh, I could only imagine. <laughs> yeah, because you're right. We are used to sunsets. Uh, we don't get to see the sun rise over the ocean very much, right? No, no, we don't. And uh, and there it's, it's it's almost like an art form. We've got people that are uh, you know getting up when it's still dark and doing the drive across uh, you know some of the park roads to go to Cape Bonamy, which is where I would recommend uh, going to watch the, the sunrise. So. Okay, so uh, the, the obviously, well, if it's being a national park, you can do all those national park thingies to do. <laughs> so there's probably hiking and all. What time of year were you there? Um, I was there in the fall, uh, but it's a park you could go to. Uh, I can't comment on the winter. Um, I don't think there's as much visitation in the winter, but uh, spring, summer, or fall, it's... Uh, Pleasant climate, not too hot. Um, very nice. So. Uh, number three is bird watch. So anybody is uh, bird watching, they would love it there, I suppose. Uh, they would. Uh, part of the reason the park was created was to protect this large colony of black-legged kittiwakes. And if you don't know what a kittiwake is, it's a, it's a very pretty-looking gull, um, very delicate-looking. Uh, but they also have a lot of gannets, which are uh, a larger bird, kind of like a cross between a loon and a, and a gull, 
and they do this amazing dive from very high up. They just kind of hit the, the water nose first, uh, diving quite deep to get their food. And not in the park, but a short distance away is Bonaventure Island, which is one of the, I think, one of North America's most accessible gannet colonies. So even if you don't think you like to watch birds, I would bet you would probably learn to like watch birds in the Gaspé Peninsula. So mm-hmm. it's quite an amazing place. Well, there's a lot. Well, you know, you got birds. You also have whales. So you get the best of both worlds, right? You do, because the water there is quite deep. Um, and so you can actually see blue whales. Now, I didn't manage to see them the day I was there, but whales do like that deep water. And it's quite a rich um, water in terms of nutrients with krill. Uh, so you can see humpbacks. Um, sometimes you might even see some of the other larger whales, perhaps like a fin whale. So, anyways, quite nice. Uh, number five is assess your survival chances at Grand Grave Heritage Site. What's that about? Well, at one time, the British and the French both needed a lot of fish. And so people settled there in order to fish the, the cod banks. And so it, it was a real eye-opener. Uh, there's days as a writer when you realize how hard it is to uh, pay your bills. But I think it was way worse for the people that lived in this part of the world. And so the way that it would work for many of them is that they would uh, be in debt before they even finished the summer. So they would bring in their, their catch, they would sell it to pay off the bills from the previous winter, and then they would be sitting there, cold weather coming and no money, so they would end up back in debt to the company store that would finance their winter, basically. Mm-hmm. And so these people lived a very hard life. Um, it turned out that some of them who had close access to the sea, did a little bit better because they could dry their own cod without having to pay someone to get access to a beach. Um, but anyways, it was, uh, it was interesting just to see uh, the hardship uh, that a lot of these people faced, as, as did many Western Canadians. But it's sort of a different story because it's about the cod and, like I say, the fact that they were beholden to the people that ran these stores. Mm-hmm. So, very interesting. So how uh, big of an area are we talking about with uh, uh, Foreal National Park? It's actually not a very big park. Um, if you think that Banff National Park is about 6,600 square kilometers, uh, Foreal is only about 245. So wow, it's like that is small, isn't it? Yeah, but that makes it nice for exploration because, you, you know, in a weekend or a long weekend, you can explore a lot of the park. Um, and like I say, there's quite a bit of uh, hiking trails that you could do, lots of great beaches um, and the wildlife. And then, you know, there's also, I don't know why, I didn't mention it in my top 10 list, but you can go porcupine watching because this park <laughs> seems to have an awful lot of porcupines. And so you don't have to try too hard to, to find one of the quilled creatures uh, strolling around the road. So, uh, Tell me about uh, Fort Peninsula. Well, that I found quite interesting. They... Um, Apparently, the Germans were there uh, during World War II. Really? And yes, they were. Uh, they, I think they attacked a boat. Uh, but somebody came up with a great idea of putting a net across this narrow channel because they figured it would be strategic if the Germans brought the fight to North America. Mm-hmm. And so these fishermen basically um, had this large net they would drape across the gas bay, the water, the, the, the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and provide a barrier so that if there was any submarines coming by, they would get tangled up in the net and not be able to go further inland. And so they um, still have, they've restored this battery. It's one of the most accessible ones in Quebec. And you can see the cannons facing the water. And you can, especially if you go there at dusk, it has kind of a mysterious vibe to it. And you realize just how close uh, 
you know, we came to battle here in North America. Mm-hmm. No kidding, right? Good history lesson there. So now give me your, uh, if someone is planning an, a trip to that area, what would you suggest? Uh, you know, is there a, a town outside the park, inside the park, like the Banff Pass or Jasper? Uh, there are small towns around the area, but it's much less commercialized than Banff. Um Per se, which is probably the largest community in the area, would be a good place to base if you wanted to stay, you know, in a town uh, of some size. Uh, you can stay right in the park. They do have Authentics there, which are, you know, kind of a glamping alternative from Parks mm-hmm. Canada. And they actually um, are just opening this year. It should be open in the spring so people can book for next year. But they have what they call the Micro Cube. And so it's basically a box with a lot of plugins. So not what I'd call spacious, but it's dry and it's warm and got great views um, of the park. And you can rent that. It only sleeps two people, uh, but it's got lots of charging spots on it for your phone and your camera. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so, and they, of course, have the dark skies there, which you can, you know, gaze at uh, if you have enough energy after you've been out all day in the park. <laughs> Ten things you need to do for a perfect day at Foriol National Park in Gaspé. You can find it on roadstories.ca. There's a link on Carol Patterson's website, carolpatterson.ca. Uh, always a pleasure to uh, chat with you, Carol. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Randy. And that is this week's Informed Traveller podcast. I want to thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, take a minute, rate the show, leave us a review, and tell a friend about the podcast. And if you want to drop me a line, my email address is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler, or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.